thought was over, quick at the barricades Joint in my mouth, pacify Everything out their mouth is pacify I'm not preaching, ask why The green one, the red one, master why Capital camouflage with fashion Passing the shell toes on the assassin Dashing security at mall expansion Whatever I wear, no, I'm here to be clashing Oh yeah, alright
his diamond ring finger at a Baltimore hotel society gathering and the cops were called in and his weapon took from him as they rode him in custody down to the station and booked Williams and Zinger for first degree murder and you who philosophize disgrace and criticize all fears take the rag away from your face now ain't the time for your tears Williams and Zinger who had 24 years owns a tobacco farm of 600 acres with rich wealthy parents who provide and protect him and high office relation in the government of Maryland reacted to his deed with a shrug of his shoulders and swear words and sneering and his tongue it was snarling and in a matter of minutes on bail was out walking and you who philosophize disgrace and criticize all fears take the rag away from your face now ain't the time for your tears Honey Curl was a maid of the kitchen She was 51 years old and gave birth to 10 children Who carried the dishes and hauled out the garbage And never sat once at the head of the table and didn't even speak to the people at the table who just cleaned up all the food from the table and emptied the ashtrays on a whole other level got killed by a blow lay slain by a cane that sailed through the air and came down through the room doomed and determined to destroy all the gentle and she never done nothing to Williams and Singer and you who philosophize disgrace and criticize all fears take the rag away from your face now ain't the time for your tears Judge pounded his gavel 
to show that all's equal and that the courts are on the level and that the strings in the books ain't pulled and persuaded and that even the nobles get properly handled once that the cops have chased after and caught them and that the ladder of law has no top and no bottom stared at the person who killed for no reason who just happened to be feeling that way without warning and he spoke through his cloak most deep and distinguished and handed out strongly for penalty and repentance William Zanzinger with his six-month sentence and you who philosophize disgrace and criticize all fears bury the rig most deep in your face for now's the time for your tears Welcome to the Weekly Review with Roman. Today, it's Friday, July 20th, 2018. Thank you so much for listening in. We are broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio here in the Mission District in San Francisco. We're here on Ohlone land. And thank you, everyone, for listening in to the show, whether you're listening in live or listening in in the future. Uh, I want to provide a trigger warning as we'll be talking about news and current events and certain things that people in positions of power are doing to fuck over the population and the planet. And also, though, talking about ways that people are fighting back and ways when folks can partake in letting your voice be heard. So start off the show with some music and I want to do a big plug for Sorry to Bother You, which is out in theaters now. Today, it, um, it is in 250 more screens. It's uh, widening its release. I really highly recommend this film. Please check it out. I've already seen it twice. I could easily see it many more times. It's a really fucking awesome movie. And if you know me personally, I have a very high threshold as to media that I will consume. So it, it, says, it says a lot. And it's just an incredible film. I can't speak highly about it enough. Uh, I also, I have a few different jobs I've had over the years. I also work as an actor and I've been fortunate enough to get background and extra work throughout the last few years. And I was really grateful to get work in Sorry to Bother You. And it's a thing in that I've gotten work in some other films, TV shows, commercials, you know, things here and there. And usually I oftentimes, I'm grateful to get it and I often look at it as as a job. And I don't usually say, hey, hey, watch this thing. Um, this uh, is the opposite of that. This is a film that's so fucking good. And I'm so feel fortunate to even be like a small part of. And it's just the message, the acting, the script, the visuals, everything about it just says so much. And I really highly, highly recommend that folks check it out. If you haven't seen it yet, please see it. Please bring friends. See it again. It's easily one of those films that you can watch over and over and over again and continue to see new things and new pieces in it. And uh, so I started off the show with playing a song, the first single off the soundtrack, which is out now that folks can check out, as well as a song from Bob Dylan. That uh, lyrics were mentioned, or they're 
referenced in the film, and that was The Lonesome Death of Hattie Carroll, and that was from 1964. So, uh, highly recommend. Sorry to bother you. I'll do another plug before the show is over, and again, really, really, really want to encourage folks to go check it out. It's really, I think, rare to get a film, to see a film that speaks the truth and challenges power and the powers that be, and... I, again, I can't recommend it highly enough. So please do check out Sorry to Bother You. It's playing across the country, and I believe it's opening up in more theaters, and they're talking about international releases as well. So no matter where you're listening, odds are you will, will be able to see this film. Please do check it out. Yay! It's really good to plug things. Oftentimes on this show, I do anti-plugs where it's like, boycott Amazon, boycott Whole Foods, boycott X and Y, Z Corporation. And it's really great to be able to promote something uh, a piece of art that's incredible and everyone should should see. So again, please check out Sorry to Bother You. Yay! It's also good to start off the show on a, on a happy note because there's a lot of things going on that are deeply frustrating and sad and enraging. Ah, oh, goodness. And we'll get to some stories today and as well as a few other pieces. And part of the show, I I do believe I like to do this in terms of providing a platform for voices that are not usually heard especially with with mainstream media which is such a fucking bias and is so on the on the wrong side of things where it's often taking the side of law enforcement taking the side of corporations or the state and we are everyone else we're the majority and everyone's stories deserve to be heard so i want to be able to provide a platform for that and to speak about folks whose voices are often if not heard, sometimes skewed in the press. So that's a, that's a goal of mine, and I hope to do that here on the show today. And we'll be playing some music in the meantime, in the in the between stories and everything, to, to cleanse the palate, as it were. And music is definitely very healing. And there's so many great musicians and artists out there, and it feels great to be able to share the talent and words and music with folks listening. I also want to do a plug for Mutiny Radio here. We uh, Mutiny Radio used to be known as Pirate Cat Radio, and we are a more or less collectively run station here in San Francisco, and we th- survive off donations and dues that folks pay for us to do our shows. So if you're able to, uh, we had a, a fundraiser up on the Mutiny Radio website, so that's one way folks can. I think we're going to be bringing up a new one soon. Um, so your donations of any amount would be great. There's also shows here. There's live shows here, comedy, music, every day of the week. And you can donate when you come in. And also, if you're interested in renting a space and having a live podcast, you can totally do that. There are slots that are available. So if you go to mutinyradio.fm, you can find the information to contact Pam, who's the station director, and speak with Pam about creating a show of your own. It's really great to have the opportunity and the option to provide content, to create content, and to be able to share that with folks. In a time with Sinclair broadcasting and they're so very much limited, I guess like a limited scope as to what content can be shared, it's really important to provide that people have a a chance to share their stories, their thoughts, and their opinions and Mutiny Radio does provide that. So please do check out mutinyradio.fm, and there is a lovely plug for our lovely space. We also have spaces available for rent. If you're not interested in doing a show every week, you can also rent the space. 
couple hours on a Saturday. We have a lot of space rentals. And also, recently there have been, we've started doing, I believe, AA meetings here on Wednesday evenings. And it's not broadcast at all. It's completely anonymous. However, we do use the space for an AA meeting. So if you are someone who's in recovery and or interested in being in a space to meet new folks, share your thoughts, please come by. You can check out more information at mutinyradio.fm. Wow. I very rarely do plugs on the show, and that's and sometimes it feels pretty good. I guess when we're advertising and speaking about things that deserve to be shared, that feels, feels pretty good. I oftentimes start off, start off the show with a, a rant. Uh, still, <laughs> folks are still working to abolish ICE and the systems that are surrounding ICE. We talk about prison abolition, talk about abolishing the police, creating a way of being that does not revolve around revolve yeah revolve i had a couple cups of coffee today and i'm speaking a bit more quickly than i am thinking which is not always the best bet the idea is that there's so much here in this country that revolves (laughs) revolves i'm just gonna keep on using that um it's about criminalization and we need to do the opposite we have a phone call so let's see who's on the phone Hello, Mutiny Radio. Uh, yeah, are you doing on the air caller? Sure, Gail, we can speak for a little oh, bit. Oh, look, I hit one that's going to actually talk. Uh, yeah, what's going on, Gail? Well, I'm still on my campaign trying to get them to send me free money. Sure. You know, <clears throat> I got to give it a good pitch, you know. But first of all... Hello? Gail? Yeah, what do you mean? What was oh, that? Oh, it was uh, cutting out a little bit. Excuse, can you hear me now? Yeah. No, no. What a Russian president. You don't think so? I, I missed part of that sentence. You're not following, right? I, I, I didn't hear what you said exactly. The phone <clears throat> cut out a little bit. I said that eventually the United States of America will end up with a president that is a Russian president. Hmm. You don't think so? I I think this this country was founded on genocide and slavery, and I think putting the not that Putin's a fucking asshole because he is. I think we need to look inwards in terms of if we want to make this country better and safer for everyone to look how to change the institutions here instead of only looking to blame Russia. Well, yeah, but you see, they they uh they shaded it on Trump's side. So that's just the beginning. Yeah, I mean, they're terrible. Like, yeah, of course, yeah. You know, after a while, like, I just found out they erected a 29-year-old woman who was a Russian officer. Mm-hmm. So eventually, you'll get a United States citizen that actually is working for the Russians, and they'll get into the presidential office mm-hmm. if things keeps going on this way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... I Russia wants to take over America. Well, what's already happening in America is already not fair and, and just for a, a lot of people. So well, I feel like the problems know. have already been here. Man, and you should see. I, I've been fooling with these office for a long time. You know, like Scott Wiener's office. Mm-hmm. I contacted Pelosi's office. Mm-hmm. And they refer me to Scott Wiener's office. Oh. And all right. And for like a couple of months, we'll say... I wanted to get a document sent to me about my situation, 
And I was told, my understanding was, Scott Wiener was busy, he was out of town, he has a stack of papers. And the letter they told me was dated in March, and they had to generate a new letter. So when they finally sent me this document, which I thought Scott Wiener was going to sign off on, which was the reason I was waiting all this time, it was decided that he wasn't going to sign it, and some other person on his staff or whatever signed it and sent it to me, the guy I was talking to. And I talked to him. I said, what happened? I waited all this time because I thought Scott Wiener was going to sign off on it. And they said, well, once he decided he wasn't going to do that, and his boss told him, and you see, because I went to quite a few political offices, you know, not personally, by mail, by phone. And what I get is, that's not what they do. That's mm-hmm. not their department, you know. And I asked the inspector general, and I called them up when they said, well, the office, and they said, it depends. They go by how serious the thing is. Then they finally sent me a letter, a genetic letter or something. And on the letter, there was no signature even. So I wrote them back and said, "How can, you know, I have a thing that involves death in the family, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to get someone to expose it because I don't know what's wrong, this debt. What I get from the political office is uh, that's not what they do. They can't do nothing about it. They had the papers that implemented this thing, uh, and it was legal. And I keep getting across, trying to get across to them. Public office, you should be considered about death, you know, someone in Nazi Germany. Gail, it's cutting out a little bit. Yeah, believe me, I know the political politics in this country is not what they live up to be. They say land of the brave, home of the free. But there's a lot of crap going on, Mm -hmm. you know. There definitely is. Like this person. But let's get this money now. I've been trying to wonder... Two things. Mutiny Radio. Yep. I think people should send you guys money, too. I, I agree. We we really we really need it for rent. So I mean, until they, rent is no longer a thing, we, we do need rent to pay for the space. Yeah, yeah. Because people want to support the arts, you know? And they keep sending money to millionaires. Yeah. Like they go to baseball games and basketball, and those are millions running around. Of course, you get entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, multi-millionaires and entertainment. So if you want to really support entertainment, for the underdog. Now, let me get to my little thing. Sure. My thing is I'm trying to get people to say, there's a lot of money floating around. Get some of the Oh, Gail, know? it's cutting out a little bit. Oh, so we might well, have to go pretty soon, but if you'd oh like yeah, to just I gotta do a, talk fast. A, a brief you know, plug. No, instead of getting hooked by the IRS scam, mm-hmm. or get catfished by some other asshole, yeah. love, 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 we're going to spend life together and send me money, and all these things, or the guy who wants a $54 million jet, yeah. you send money to an old arthritic lady, that's Gail, me, at P.O. Box, Seven two zero zero seven six, Francisco, California, nine four one seventy two. I mean, send your money and don't commit suicide. Things are going to get better. 
send the money to me. Okay. Why not? All right. There's a lot of money out there. Don't send it to people that already got a lot of money. Yeah, I agree. Send some to me. Absolutely. Send some to Mutiny Radio. Indeed. Support the arts. All right. Bye. Thanks, Gail. Have a good day. All right. Thanks to Sweet Gail. Gail is our most frequent caller on the show perhaps at the station as well. Thank you, Gail, so much for calling in. And our phone lines are open here. If you have anything you'd like to share, phone number is 415-550-0511. Got a lot of stories to get to. And so we're going to start off with one here that is from The Cut, and this came out on July 19th. And this was written by Cameron Evans. And it's uh, 11 strippers on being criminalized for doing their jobs. So we do like to share the voices of sex workers here on the show. And this is an article that came out recently. So wanting to provide some context for what folks have been going through and are currently going through. On July 11th, Stormy Daniels was arrested for allegedly fondling and allowing, and fondling is in quotation marks, and allowing undercover cops to touch her breasts while on stage at a strip club in Columbus, Ohio. Daniels was accused of breaking an Ohio law that prohibits, quote-unquote, nude or semi-nude adult dancers from touching patrons under any circumstances and vice versa, unless they are immediate family members. Interesting. Daniels' arrest sparked outrage and even some speculation that her arrest was politically motivated. But what happened to her is commonplace. It's something women who work in strip clubs deal with on a regular basis. Many states have laws that strictly regulate dancers' behavior in ways dancers say criminalize them arbitrarily, violate their right to freedom of expression, and leave them vulnerable to harassment from law enforcement. The laws vary from state to state, but many require dancers to cover their nipples and stand six feet away from customers and ban them from working nude in clubs that sell alcohol. To understand how this impacts dancers, we spoke with 11 women with a range of experiences from New Orleans, where it's illegal for dancers to to touch even their own breasts or buttocks. Detroit, where it's illegal for dancers to give lap dances with any physical contact, and Columbus, where Daniels was arrested. And here's what they had to say. On the awful experience of being ticketed, Ashley, who's a dancer in Columbus, says that she was cited twice in the last year with the same charges and have been f- and has been forced to wait tables. She says... And I'll be reading this in in first person so I can read it directly from the article. All my attorney and court fees are so high right now that I can't even leave to go dance elsewhere. And they have made sure I can't dance anywhere in Columbus, even when I only did what every dancer does and is still doing, our jobs. And they speak with Angel, who's a dancer in Detroit. And Angel says, in 1997, police raided a club I was in and handcuffed us. They didn't let us put our street clothes... they, They didn't let us put on our street clothes before they took us out in the front of the newscasters. We were trying to cover our faces and it was just horrible. Then in June and July of last year, I got eight tickets for things like contact between me and a customer. I recognized one of the vice cops. I was like, you're in here all the time on your days off. Next is Emily, who is a dancer in Columbus. Two undercover cops came in November and started writing lap dance tickets, but they weren't sending them out in the mail for like a month. We only kept camera footage for 30 days, so we couldn't prove whether we actually gave a lap dance or not. The only reason that I pled guilty is that I thought I'd be able to go back to work once my case was closed, but nowhere in Columbus would let me work. I had to live in hotels and travel for work for five months until they let me come back. They have a section now on pasties and the arbitrariness of the laws. Emily says, first of all, we have to wear pasties, which is stupid. Second, if you serve alcohol, you're not allowed to make contact. You can't even sit in their laps and have a conversation. 
Ali says, the laws are often somewhat vague yet oddly specific regarding the covering or touching of particular body parts. If I wanted to touch my own breasts on the dance floor at a, at the bar, at, at a bar, I could do that, but strap on a pair of eight inch platform heels and do it on a stage for money against the law here in Louisiana. Devin, who is a dancer in New Orleans, says, if I'm on stage and I touch my own boob, that's considered lewd conduct. If I touch my own butt, that's illegal. If I'm wearing a thong and my, pu- my pubic hair is showing, that's also illegal. If I take off my shoes on the floor, that's illegal. Next, on what it's like to get raided. Rebecca, who's a dancer in Columbus, says, it was right before Christmas last year when they hit us hard. We had 14 girls that got tickets. Most of them got fired. Devin says, they came in and shut down clubs while people were there. It didn't need to be done when they were open, but instead they made it a, this public act. They took pictures of dancers in their dancer clothes. They were calling out girls' real names in front of customers, and they were making non-sex worker-friendly jokes. It's created a level of paranoia. The other night, I was sure that I was talking to an undercover cop, and it ruined my whole night. Next, Stacy, who is a dancer in Mount Clemens and... Detroit, Michigan, says girls were rushing upstairs to change into more conservative outfits because they'll try to get you for anything, even if your outfit is legal. Chase Kelly, who's a dancer in New Orleans, says these raids have prompted more travel for work, which cuts into my take home and makes it harder to maintain a stable home life with my partner. Allie says even people who weren't working during the raid or didn't have a club that got raided feel this anxiety of going to work and being worried that if I do something wrong, will they bust my club? Angel says, I feel like I'm on the verge of a mental breakdown. This weekend I got dressed, I drove down to the club, and I couldn't go in because my anxiety was so bad. Josephine, who's a dancer in New Orleans and the co-editor of Tits and Sass, says, the way, I make my, the way I make money in Detroit is I give lap dances, but lap dances are technically criminalized under these ordinances. So every time I give a lap dance, I'm like, oh, I hope Vice doesn't bust in the door because then I'll have a misdemeanor and have to go to court. Next, on how the laws have hurt their business. Brazil, who's a dancer working in Dayton and Columbus, Ohio, says, The two clubs that I worked at are shut down indefinitely. I'm on maternity leave right now, but once I go back, I'll have to find an entirely new club to work at. Emily says, Our club is so slow now. No one wants to go in there. Everybody is just uncomfortable because they don't want to get a ticket or the club to get raided. I look at, I look at it as entrapment, basically. When I started two years ago, I was never told there was this law that said we can't touch people. None of us really had any idea. Devin says, the first club that was raided in New Orleans closed last week without notice. People went to show up to work and the doors were shut. Business had dropped dramatically because of how strict the rules were being enforced because they were on probation. Allie, a dancer in New Orleans and an organizer of the Bourbon Alliance of Responsible Entertainers, says, Laws that dictate the manner in which entertainers are permitted to dress, dance, and interact with customers violate our First Amendment right to free speech. They are clearly rooted in attempts to control women's bodies. It's entertainers and clubs who are penalized under these laws, not the often male customers who seek out these experiences. Chase Kelly says, These laws are written with a side with the sole intention of eradicating or polishing our industry without considering the voices of those who are actually in it. And that also just makes me think about SESTA-FOSTA and how many folks spoke up when those laws were being written before they were passing. This was going to harm people, and they, the folks who were looking to pass a law didn't care, didn't seem to listen. And now that those laws are, are in... Uh, it's causing a lot of harm and it's harder for folks to actually find folks, people who are being trafficked and it is hurting people who, 
who do sex work. Okay, that's my own statement. Moving on to the next part of this article here on fighting back. Lynn Archer, who's a dancer in New Orleans, says, while it's important to know your rights, it's also important to know how easily violated those rights routinely are. Look up the laws, rules, and styles of enforcement in your town. Never rely on the local culture, management, coworkers to decide what's okay. Understand and accept that components of your work may be extra legal simply because the laws often contradict one another and are deliberately ambiguous and inconsistent. Film and record every police interaction. Speak up and speak out. Don't let them scare you. Justice means that all people's human rights are given equal respect and protection, a performer or a president. So if you'd like to check out this article, we've posted it on our weekly review page, and you can find that at facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. I post a lot of news articles there as well. And if you'd like to get a link to the article directly, you can please check out thecut.com. And this article came out on July 19th. Okay, we're going to take a bit of a music break. Uh, I often call in for requests for songs. So here's another song that was requested. And this is uh, Dej uh, Loaf and Leon Bridges with Liberated. Immediately when I hear the word liberated, I think of freedom. Owning my voice. When I'm allowed to say what I want. Being you, that's, that's how you're liberated. That's how you're free. Liberation starts within yourself. To be truly liberated, you are accepted. Education. Liberate myself so that I can then liberate others. You just have to do what makes you, you. Total freedom. Y'all need a little bit more of it, you know? Love yourself and all the things around you. There's a lot of power in liberation. That don't need no makeup when they wake up For the ones who rockin' lace fronts, you know, I ain't gon' say nothing. Hashtag me your single You fresh off the breakup For the introverts No, we don't gotta say much
DJ Loaf and Leon Bridges with Liberated. Thank you so much for the request for that song. That's a beautiful song. Cool. So we're going to go into some more news stories. Yay. Can we do something maybe positive? Is there are there, are there, are, eh, is there positive things happening in this world? There actually are. Um, one thing that's a local issue here is that San Francisco has voted to tax large companies to help the homeless. <sighs> I know this is something that should have happened long ago. Well, actually, there's... In an ideal world, everyone would be housed. It's not that difficult. <laughs> we have the resources. I often find on this show, when I do talk about the positive news stories and the positive things, it's when we prevent something bad from happening or try to correct uh, a problem that has already been existing. However, anything that can be done in the name of humanity, um, we're all for. And this article came out from the AP and it was in the LA Times and came out on July 17th. San Francisco voters will decide this November whether to tax large businesses to pay for homeless and housing services, an issue that set off a battle in another West Coast city struggling with income inequality. The city elections department verified Monday that supporters had collected enough signatures, and they got far more than enough signatures, which is great, to get the measure on the ballot. It would raise about $300 million a year, doubling what San Francisco spends on homelessness for more shelter beds and housing for people who are homeless or at risk of becoming so. The money would come from an average half percent tax increase on companies' revenue above $50 million each year. Homelessness is a major problem in San Francisco as well as other cities on the West Coast with growing numbers of high-paying tech jobs that price lower-income residents out of a shrinking housing supply. San Francisco's new mayor, London Breed, vowed to clear the streets of its tent camps within a year of taking office. I don't have a... There's no camera in the studio... Sometimes I wish you could see my face when I when I read these things. Okay. <sighs> I think the city is really ready for this, said Kristen Evans, a San Francisco small business owner and one of the three petitioners on the measure. We have a lot of momentum behind us, and more than a majority of the voting population is renters. We're polling very well. Seattle lenders excuse me, Seattle leaders last month repealed a tax on large employers that was meant to fund homelessness services after Amazon pushed back. But south of San Francisco, Mountain View City Council got a measure on the November ballot asking voters to authorize a tax on Google and other companies with employees in the Silicon Valley city. It's unclear which companies in San Francisco Francisco, would be affected and how hard by the additional tax on gross receipts. Jim Lazarus, senior vice president of public policy for the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce, estimates that up to 1,000 businesses generate more than $50 million a year. The companies could include Twitter, which declined to comment on Monday. Uh, Other companies... That could be affected, such as Uber, pharmaceutical distributor McKesson Corp., Google, Apple, and Amazon did not respond to requests for comment. 
Other businesses that could be affected include department stores, supermarkets, law firms, and clothing makers such as Levi Strauss and Co., Lazarus said. The chamber will likely oppose the measure. Mark Benioff, founder and chief executive of cloud computing soft company Salesforce, has urged others in the tech company to help address the city's problems with homelessness. The city's largest tech employer said in a statement that it has given more than $4 million to the cause and that it is evaluating the potential ballot measure to carefully assess its merits in addressing this important issue. Mm-hmm. Something else Salesforce can do is decide to not work with any folks who are contracted with ICE. That's my statement. And many other people's statements as well. San Francisco voters last month also approved an increase in the gross receipts tax on commercial buildings and warehouses to fund universal child care. The upcoming ballot measure is backed by a coalition that includes homelessness and gay rights groups. Up to half the, of the money raised would go toward permanent housing from rental subsidies to new housing. Up to a quarter would go toward mental health services. Jason McDaniel, a political science professor at San Francisco State University, says it is likely to pass unless political leaders band together to block it. I suspect that local companies don't have the same kind of relationship to the political establishment as they do in Seattle, he said. There's no Amazon here. It's not like a company town. And I'm going to add a note here that a lot of the, you know, for the folks who kind of push back and say, oh, but there's already X amount of money going to homeless services. A lot of that money goes to policing and criminalizing. It goes to DPW and the folks who actually steal people's possessions. So some of the money doesn't even go to actually helping people. It goes to hurting people. So I am all for, and many of us are all for funds that actually go to make sure folks have housing and coalition on homelessness, which is an awesome organization here in San Francisco. They do reports. And at the moment there's usually over at least 1000 people on the waiting list to get a shelter bed. So there are a lot of folks who are, who are just in need right now. And the city could very well provide for people if that's what folks in positions of power decided to do. So I say, Tax the hell out of these businesses. If you'd like to check out the article, again, it's on our page, facebook.com forward slash weekly rev, or else check out the article itself in the LA Times. And this came out on July 17th. Okay. Got a few more stories for you. I am debating whether or not to take another break. And I think I might just do that. Rest my voice a little bit, play some tunes, play some music here. I'm going to play a song here by The Coup. Uh, really uh, awesome song called The Guillotine. Excuse me. And we'll be back after this. That was that was not it. <laughs> uh, I'm going to check things out here. All right, here we go. Enjoy.
know you could've stayed home, just cried and cussed mail. Your guns go off if it's time to bust mail. They tanks have time to rust. They got the armies turning bullets into gold. They got the hookers turning tricks into code. And every time the police kicks in the dough, an angel gas breaks dips in the O. And even if a D-boy flips in my O, it ain't enough to buy shit anymore. Sleep in the doorway, piss on the floor. Look in the sky, wait for missiles to show. It's finna blow, cause they got the TV, we got the truth. They own the judges and we got the proof. We got hella people, they got helicopters, they got the bombs, and we got the, we got the, we got the
welcome back to the weekly review. <sighs> that was the Orwells and the name of the song. When I look it up <laughs> and find it, I'll share it with you. The name of the song is Who Needs You? Got it. Cool. How about a positive news story or something that could be positive? This is from The Intercept, and it's written by Zaid Jelani, and this came out on July 16th. Chicago may become largest city in U.S. to try universal basic income. Chicago alderman Amea Paiwar is worried about the future. He is concerned that a coming wave of Automation could put millions of people out of work and result in more extreme politics. Pointing to investments in autonomous vehicles by companies like Tesla, Amazon, and Uber, Pawar observed that long-haul trucking jobs, historically a source of middle-class employment, may become obsolete. More people out of work means more political polarization, says Pawar. We have to start talking about race and class and geography, but also start talking about the future of work as it relates to automation. All of this stuff is intertwined. Before leaving the race, after being outspent by two billionaire candidates, Pawar campaigned for the Illinois Democratic Party's nomination for governor. One of the themes of his candidacy was that politicians were scapegoating various racial or ethnic groups for their constituents' material problems. You know, the British pit Hindus and Muslims against one another, Pawar told The Intercept at one time, at the time. Drawing on his Indian-American heritage, pit people against one another based on class and geography, cast, this is no different. Chicago versus downstate, downstate versus Chicago, black, white, brown against one another, all poor people fighting over scraps. Pawar now believes that a wave of mass automation will only compound this problem. From a race and class perspective, just know that 66% of long-haul truck drivers are middle-aged white men, he observed. So if you put them out of work without any investment in new jobs or in a social support system so they can transition from their job to another job, these race and class and geographical divides are going to grow. Pawar thinks that one way to battle racial resentment is to address the economic precarity that politicians have used to stoke it. He has decided to endorse the universal basic income, an idea that has been picking up steam across the world. The UBI is based on a sing simple premise. People don't have enough money to provide for their essential needs, so why not just give them more? UBI schemes entail giving a standard cash grant to everyone, regardless of need. Traditionally, the U.S. has addressed poverty by delivering in-kind goods. For instance, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, formerly known as the Food Stamp Program, issues electronic cards that can be used to purchase certain types of food. But some economists have countered that simply giving people money is more beneficial. Research shows that cash transfer programs are more efficient overall as they sidestep the administrative costs of distributing in-kind goods. The theory is that people know their own needs and can allocate money more effectively than the government. Moreover, the hope is that because UBI is a universal initiative, it will avoid some of the stigma associated with need-based programs, which have historically been criticized as handouts to the quote-unquote undeserving poor. Pawar recently introduced a pilot for a UBI program in Chicago. Under his program, $500 a month would be delivered to 1,000 Chicago families, no strings attached. Additionally, the proposal would modify the Earned Income Tax Credit Program for the same 1,000 families, so they'd receive payments on a monthly basis instead of at the end of the year, a process known as smoothing that enables families to integrate the tax credit into their monthly budgets. 
The proposal also leaves room for the creation of a Chicago-specific EITC program. Pawar has convinced the majority of Chicago lawmakers to co-sponsor the plan, and he is hoping that the Chicago City Council will soon work with the mayor to implement it. Nearly 70% of Americans don't have $1,000 in the bank for an emergency, Poar told The Intercept. UBI could be an incredible benefit for people who are working and have a tough time making ends meet or putting food on the table at the end of the month. It's time to start thinking about direct cash transfers to people so that they can start making plans about how they're going to get by. Simply giving people money so they can cover their expenses seems like a radical idea. I disagree. Especially in America, where individualism and personal responsibility are considered chief virtues, and the notion of getting something for nothing is scorned. I'm just sighing due to that line of thought. But, and if we're talking about people who get something for nothing, look at all these CEOs. Anyway, on onwards. (laughs) onwards with the article but there's an easy rejoinder at least to those skeptics who doubt ubi because they think the money will be squandered on non-essential goods ubi style direct cash transfers have been implemented elsewhere and they work one of the most effective anti-poverty programs in the 21st century is brazil's programa bolsa familia deborah wetzel a senior staffer at the world bank called the program a quiet revolution noting that pbf has been key to help brazil more than half than have its extreme poverty from 9.7 to 4.3% of the population. Moreover, the program also helped to shrink income inequality by about 15%, says Wetzel. One study by the Inter-American Development Bank noted that the program cost about 0.5% of the gross domestic product of Brazil, but was credited with reducing the infant mortality rate caused by undernourishment and diarrhea by more than 50%. PBF is not a universal program, as payments go only to Brazilians living below a certain wage threshold. In 2013, about one quarter of Brazilians received this benefit. Another key difference is that unlike PBF, which requires that children of recipient families attend school and regularly visit the doctor, UBI is unconditional. But PBF is a useful model for UBI, as both are direct cash transfer programs. The best domestic example of UBI can be found in Alaska. Since 1976, Alaska's state government has maintained the Alaska Permanent Fund, which invests in financial assets like public and private equities, real estate and infrastructure to generate revenues for the state government. For the state government, the fund, which is also fed by residuals on oil from public lands, then issues a check every year to every resident of Alaska. In 2017, that payment amounted to $1,100. Back in the continental U.S., a, the 27-year-old mayor of Stockton, California, Michael Tubbs, started rolling out a UBI, a local UBI pilot program earlier this year. The Stockton program, which is being implemented in partnership with Facebook co-founder Chris Hughes' economic security project, will provide $500 monthly to 100 families. The 18-month study will start in 2019. In an interview with Politico, Tubbs rejected the argument that paying people for doing nothing was inherently undignified. There is this interesting conversation we've been having about the value of work, he said. Work does have some value and some dignity, but I don't think working 14 hours and not being able to pay your bills or working two jobs and not being able, there's nothing inherently dignified about that. If Pawar's program is implemented by Mayor Rahm Emanuel, Chicago would be the largest city in America to experiment with UBI. Matt Brew... Bruning, Brunig, uh, the founder of the People's Policy Project and a UBI advocate, is skeptical that a multi-municipality can run a successful UBI because cities tend to have limited capacity to collect revenue. However, he does think that the pilot project has merit. 
this looks like a UBI pilot program, which is a good idea, just to study its effects and produce data that can help guide other UBI efforts, he told The Intercept. Our hope that I now that I know <laughs> will be born out of this pilot is that it will show that when we have that when we smooth out the EITC and we provide a monthly basic income to 1,000 families, that they will be able to plan for expenses. They will make decisions about savings. They can make decisions about investing. They could make decisions about how they could deal with a financial emergency, just like all families do, Poar told us. And once implemented, we'll be able to hopefully scale it. Uh, to the alderman, the question is not so much whether the country can afford to implement UBI so much as to whether it can afford not to. My response to Amazon and Tesla and Ford and Uber, we need to start having a conversation about automation and a regulatory framework so that if jobs simply go away, what are we going to do with the workforce? If those companies are reticent to pay their fair share in taxes and still want tax in incentives and at the same time and at the same time automate jobs, what do you think is going to happen? Poar asked. These divisions are going to grow and in many ways we're sitting on a powder keg so the article was updated on july 17th 2018 and you can find it again at the intercept i'm in a musical mood today so we're gonna play another song and then i'll get to some more news stories and thanks again so much for listening you're listening to mutiny radio there are shows here every day of the week and so please do check out our schedule if you go to mutinyradio.fm we've got comedy got music politics talk radio lots of different lots of different shows cool we'll be back uh, in a little bit Protection goes before me. Protection is all around. Protection 
this is sacred ground Speak good things into being Abundance is all around Happiness and joy reign down, down Happiness and joy reign Happiness and joy reign Happiness and joy reign Happiness and joy reign Welcome back. That was Monica McIntyre with Conjurer off the album Morning to the Moonlight. Coming up, ways that folks can fight back and assist. And I also am very much wanting to offer love and gratitude and solidarity to the folks who are doing direct action to prevent ICE from doing what they're doing. Ooh. There's an unintended sound effect there from the microphone stand. So there's lots of ways to take action and a lot of ways to support folks who are. And I want to remind folks that I know there's some folks who are just only intent on voting and a reminder that there's a lot of other ways to take action. And no matter what you're capable of, no matter what your abilities are, there are so many different ways to participate. You can get the word out. You can have conversations with people. If you have capital, you can share it. Again, commit to direct action. Support the folks doing direct action. Create art. Um, create a new way of being. There are so many ways to participate and to create the world that we all deserve to live in. So wanting to add that perspective out there for folks, and I understand there's a lot to feel hopeless about and cynical and to understand that there are many of us out there, so many people out there who are working to create an ideal, equitable, and just world. And there are so many different ways to do that. And also a reminder for folks in terms of wanting to avoid burnout that it's okay to take breaks. It doesn't mean you're giving up if you're taking some time to rest. You can take some time to rest and to heal and then to come back when you're ready. So wanting to offer encouragement for folks no matter wherever wherever you're at to do that. <sighs> ah, deep breath in, deep breath out. Okay. Next up, this is a, a long article. So we're going to get to it. This is an article from uh, Remezcla, um, and that's R-E-M-E-Z-C-L-A.com. And this is eight things you can do to become an ally to those fighting for Nicaragua's liberty. And so you can check out this article again on our Facebook page. And this came out four days ago and was written by Gabriel Perez Setright. Uh, In a video that has circulated on social media, a young Nicaraguan woman makes a tearful apology as her life is in imminent danger. Mom, forgive me. I came to defend my country. The fear in her voice is palpable, and as someone who has seen it firsthand, it's also not unfounded. In the early weeks of April, I joined a group of friends in protests meant to raise awareness of the environmental crisis occurring in the natural reserve of Indio Maiz. But with... President Daniel Ortega implementing pension reforms, the protests evolved. We joined forces with other student, feminist, and social justice organizers and tied environmental issues with corruption, colonization, and a lack of transparency in Ortega's government. I left Nicaragua about a month ago with plans to return in mid-July, but now I don't know when or under what conditions I'll return to my country. Up to that point, I formed part of several on-the-ground 
communities, networks, and committees organizing safe houses, transporting medical supplies and food, documenting protests, setting up refugee networks in Costa Rica for refugee for refugees, and supporting the students that had occupied universities. As a young queer organizer in Managua, I could identify with the other folks who joined the fight. We had a similar visions and hopes of a feminist, inclusive, anti-capitalist future for Nicaragua. For us, the protests were our best opportunity to expose and confront a crooked, neoliberal, and authoritarian government that has concentrated power and wealth for an elite few at the expense of systematically marginalizing rural women, indigenous communities, and working class students. When I realized I could no longer continue my job as a bilingual interpreter and lecturer in Nicaraguan history, U.S. mission groups and students suspended trips to Nicaragua. I flew to Los Angeles for a short-term work opportunity, hoping to return with a bit of extra cash and ready to resume the fight. But during the month of June, the crisis only worsened. Human rights groups estimate that more than 350 murders at the hands of the Orteguista police, which has espoused nationwide which has espoused nationwide insecurity. I started to grow accustomed to learning that my friends were moving out of the country indefinitely, some to Spain and others to the United States. My support network in Nicaragua no longer exists and is too dangerous to continue my work as a young organizer in the pro-government neighborhood where I reside. I've chosen to remain in the United States under self-imposed exile. I have the privilege of having family and friends in the United States who can help me. While several thousands expose expose themselves to danger as they take to the streets to protest for a better future for Nicaragua, I write from the safety of my new home. But as I settle into this unexpected life, I am now left with one question. How can we support the liberation of Nicaraguan, Nicaraguans from the United States? Whether you're unfamiliar with Nicaragua and its history, a Nicaraguan who, like me, this is the author of the piece, who has sought refuge in the United States, or you land somewhere in between, here are eight things you can do to become an ally to the land of lakes and volcanoes. One, whew, learn about the United States' interventionism across Latin America. For more than 100 years, the United States government has overthrown democratically elected presidents and installed dictatorships in its place in order to extract resources and politically control the territory at all costs. This has come at the expense of indigenous community leaders and environmentalists. It's a lot to brush up on, but knowing more about Efrain Rios uh, Mont, Fulgencio Batista in Cuba, Anastasio Somoza de Bale in Nicaragua and Augusto Pinochet in Chile will help you understand how the U.S. has supported violent dictatorships. If you're feeling overwhelmed, a good place to start is the School of Americas, a U.S.-based combat training school for Latin American soldiers. Now known as the Western Hemisphere Institute for Security Cooperation, the institution teaches Latin American soldiers in U.S. style of combat. Critics have described it as a school for dictators, torturers, and assassins. Number two, learn about the U.S.'s involvement in Nicaragua. In order to understand what is happening today, it's important to understand the revolutionary struggle and how it shaped multiple generations. The lives of all, the lives of all Nicaraguans are tied to a long history of war. The U.S. alone has intervened several times in Nicaragua, stemming back to the 1850s when William Walker usurped the Nicaraguan pre presidency and continuing with the, the Marine occupation in the 1910s to Somoza's decades-long military dictatorship, and more recently, illegally funding the Contras and inciting a civil war in an effort to control the spread of communism in Latin America. The United States has been invested in Nicaragua because of our geographical location and access to resources. Confronting, or conf 
confronting the legacy of, of United States intervention in Nicaragua, Nicaragua and Latin America will force us in the U.S. to stop thinking of this crisis as something that's disconnected from our everyday lives. Number three, read up on what's happening in Nicaragua right now. Protests and attacks are taking place all over the country. And because it's changing and moving so quickly, it's important to read up on as much read up as much as possible. Here are some sources in both English and Spanish. And they have links in the article, including uh, Protest Nicaragua, La Prensa, El Nuevo Diario, um, Manangua Furioso, which is an independent youth-run blog, Articulo 66, an independent news outlet, Radio Corporación, 100% Noticias, New, which is NIU, a, a youth-oriented culture site, and Confidencial, which is a political analysis media. And in this article on uh, Remezcla, they have links to these sites. Number four, visibilize Nicaraguan stories and narratives. To be an ally, you must prioritize the voices of those affected. Share news and updates about the situation in Nicaragua. Start a conversation with your friends and families. When trying to decide what kind of stories to share, make sure you stay away from one-dimensional pieces that chalk up socialism as the root cause for Nicaragua's issues. Instead, look look to feminist, decolonial, and anti-capitalist critiques of Ortega's government. Number five, read and study about Latin American Latin American resistance movements. These movements have inspired have inspired around the world. Particularly, you should study the resistance of indigenous groups, environmentalists, feminists, leaders in the labor movement, and artists. This is where we turn to for ways to organize ourselves, and you should too. Six, organize in your community. This is general advice, but in the case of Nicaragua, you can show solidarity for the country by getting together and protesting the government or raising money for those fighting back in the Central American country. There's power in organizing locally. Seven, prevent the United States' intervention in Nicaragua. (sighs) This weekend, many pled with Marco Rubio to help Nicaragua, but people like him and many other U.S. politicians do not have Nicaragua's best interests at heart. Grassroots organizers are hesitant to call on the United States given the current administration in power and the country's past of imposing its agenda on other nations. As such, we should respect the wishes of people on the ground who have a keen understanding of what they're fighting for and what the country's future looks like. On the flip side, if the U.S. does interfere, it's important to put pressure on the Trump administration to stay away. Often, when the the U.S. sanctions other countries, it ends up targeting the people and not the government. And eight, offer financial support. An easy and effective way to support local families and organizers is is through financial contributions. This is extremely helpful because Nicaragua is one of the poorest countries, is one of the poorest countries in the hemisphere. So international finance support goes a long way. $20 can buy a lot of supplies. And with the Ortega government consolidating all resources, crowdsourcing has become increasingly necessary. Here are three trustworthy GoFundMe accounts managed by amazing people. And they have the sites here. One is, they're all GoFundMe, and they're Solidarity-Fund-4Nicaragua. Another one, also GoFundMe, Medical-Crisis-In-Nicaragua. Another one, GoFundMe.com forward slash Nicaragua protest. Fundacion uh, Nicaraguanese para el desarrollo, desar- I apologize, uh, lo siento. 
Desarrollo Economico y Social, F-U-N-I-D-E-S, is a foundation assisting victims, is another place you can turn to. Hundreds of people have lost their jobs, homes, and life savings because of state repression. Uh, Funidas is an organization with years of experiences in the largest economical effort to support these families, click here to help, and they have a link. So again, you can check out this website if you go to remezcla.com, lists forward slash, why am I reading so fast? I have time. Good reminder. Lists forward slash culture forward slash how to become an ally to Nicaraguans. And that's all. There's dashes in between all those words. And you can also find this if you go to facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. We have posted that story there as well. This country. Oh, this country. All right. Ah, I'm going to take a moment. Goodness gracious. We've got a few more news stories to share with you all. I wish they were happier. And again, uh, uh, and then if we don't share what's actually happening, I feel like that can be a disservice. So we're going to get through a few more that are just, ugh, just showing what's what's out there and this comes from the new york times which i know is a bit right-leaning for a lot of us um and at the same time they also do provide information so when they share this information especially about this current topic well it's been a topic for a while and that is what it takes to get an abortion in the most restrictive u.s state and this was written by audrey carlson ash new and sarah simon and it came out on july 20th With the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court, Democrats and abortion rights groups have warned of a threat to Roe v. Wade, the landmark 1973 ruling that made abortion legal nationwide. Already, American women, I'm going to say people, because not just women need access to abortion, already American people face increasingly different paths to getting an abortion depending on their state. It doesn't make a difference if it's legal, if it's inaccessible, says Diane Derzis owner of Jackson Women's Health Organization, the only remaining abortion clinic in Mississippi. And it's definitely inaccessible to many people. Here's what it takes to get an abortion in two states with dis- with distinct approaches. California is one of the eight states that have no major abortion restrictions. Although I will add, as a fucking resident of California, even last year there were folks protesting in front of the Planned Parenthood on Valencia Street. So even in this, even in San Francisco, California, which I know has this "quote unquote" liberal, you know, "quote unquote" progressive reputation, even we get folks protesting up here, which is fucking disgusting. And also, of course, as many folks know, uh, reproductive care services are only a, a small percentage of what can be offered at Planned Parenthood. Anyway, I, I imagine the listeners of the show know that already. However, just a fucking reminder. I can't just the idea that folks actually protest outside of health clinics is just so beyond me. And. <sighs> Let's move on. Okay, so California is one of the eight states that have no major abortion restrictions. Mississippi is among the most restrictive states in the country, and with its single clinic and many abortion laws, it is effectively the most difficult state in which to get an abortion. They have highlighted entries show the impact of restrictions. So this is a it's a chart, so it's a little bit difficult to read over the air, and um. So they have a comparison of California and Mississippi. And on the left is California, and they say the first step is to make a clinic appointment. And on the right, for Mississippi, make a clinic appointment. However, in Mississippi, the state only has one remaining abortion clinic, and every other clinic in Mississippi has closed amid increasing restrictions. As of 2014, California has 152 clinics. 
And also in Mississippi, doctors are available only a few days per week. In Mississippi, only OBGYNs can perform abortions. In California, nurse practitioners and others can perform most abortions. Next is the cost. Determine how to cover the cost. Most abortions are $450 to $650. And then if you're on Medicaid in Mississippi, uh, you'll need to pay out of pocket or seek private financial aid. In 2014, the income of about half of women, people, I'm going to correct them, people having abortions was less than the federal poverty level, which was $11,670. Mississippi's Medicaid program, unlike California's, does not cover abortions, barring exceptional circumstances. And next is to make arrangements for transportation, child care, and time off. And uh, let's see, in Mississippi, if you are a minor, bring your birth certificate and photo IDs for you and your parent. Interesting. Um, wow. And as of 2016, Mississippi and 25 other states require parental consent for a minor who seeks an abortion. Um, we can also obtain a court order allowing for an abortion without parental involvement. And you have to travel to Jackson, Mississippi, where the clinic is. Uh, people travel from up to four hours away by car. In 2014, 91% of people ages 15 to 44 in Mississippi lived in a county without an abortion clinic. 91% lived in a county without an abortion clinic compared to only 5% in California. The next step is to visit the clinic, and then you have the ultrasound to assess your options. And then for the Mississippi side of things, in 26 states, abortion legislation includes provisions about ultrasounds. In Mississippi, an ultrasound is required, and the provider must ask a parent if they want to see the image, and your provider will ask you if you want to see the ultrasound, receive, you should receive a copy of the image or hear, hear the heartbeat. If the ultrasound shows that you are more than 16 weeks pregnant, you must go out of state to have the abortion. Uh, though state law bans abortions at 20 weeks because of additional state licensing regulations, the Jackson Clinic cannot perform the type of abortion required after 16 weeks. Next up, you have lab work done, and then you receive counseling on risks and options. In Mississippi, doctors are required to state an association between abortion and breast cancer, a link that is unfounded. I just spit, <laughs> just so folks know how angry I'm getting here. A link that is unfounded according to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and you receive additional state mandated information, which is actually misinformation in Mississippi, from your doctor on risks and options. Next, you sign a medical consent form. And if you're a minor, your parent must be present and, and sign the consent form. Uh, 27 states, including Mississippi, require that a person waits 18. And they use the, the word woman here. And I understand that this is the idea, but it's about quote unquote women's bodies. And I also, again, want to say that it's not just women who need abortions and reproductive services. There are trans men, there are men who need these services as well. So I want to use inclusive language here to recognize that there are men here who need these services as well. Okay, so 27 states, including Mississippi, require that people wait 18 to 72 hours after receiving counseling before having an abortion. Signing the form begins at 24 hour, begins a 24-hour waiting period before God damn, before the abortion can be performed. 
And it usually takes people much longer, sometimes several weeks, to return to the clinic because of provider availability and their own schedules. If a person cannot return before the 16-week limit, they will need to go out of state for the procedure. And they need to make a second appointment for another day and leave the clinic. Then they need to make arrangements for transportation, childcare, and time off again. Then they need to return to the clinic. And if you are a minor, your parent must accompany you again. And then you get an abortion. So if you're able to look at this article on the New York Times, they have these charts. And a lot of the information I read was specifically for Mississippi. And these are things that do not have to happen if you live in California. Anti-abortion groups have pushed for more restrictions. Uh, Why? I'm going to, sometimes I yell. I'm going to yell. I'm going to do it away from the microphone just to yell. Feel free to yell with me. We all all yell in unison. I'm actually going to turn down the microphone, make sure I don't hear it in anyone's ears. Okay, that's better. Turn down the mic, I yelled. (sighs) There's a lot to yell about. There's a lot to be fucking angry about. It's so fucking ridiculous. Okay. Continuing on, anti-abortion groups have pushed for more restrictions. Ingrid Duran, director of state legislation for the National Right to Life. Who is fucking life? Because people, okay. <sighs> it's 124. I'm getting angry. Oh. This person, I don't know. I, oh, God, they're so fucking terrible. Okay. I'm going to finish the paragraph. Said the restrictions like require, 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 <laughs> requiring providers to ask people if they want to see ultrasound images can change their minds about getting abortions. Research suggests that seeing an ultrasound does not affect your decision-making for the 85% of people who are already certain that they want to get an abortion, but that it may for the small share of people (laughs) who are undecided. That might be the one thing between, ew, I'm not even going to quote this asshole. That's how it goes. This is an uncensored show. However, I'm going to censor people who believe they have a right to other people's bodies and lie about it. This spring, Mississippi banned nearly all abortion after 15 weeks. Jackson Women's Health swiftly sued, challenging the ban, which was blocked the next day. The lawsuit also addressed other state restrictions that, according to Ms. Durzis, the owner of the clinic, have made abortions increasingly inaccessible to people in Mississippi. It sounds like I'm talking about another country, and in a lot of ways, that's what it's like, Ms. Dorsey said. So again, it, when... <sighs> there's a, a, a meme that I saw very recently. I'm going to just... Re- it's I know it's d- difficult to describe an image. However, I felt it was really right on, and it deals with a lot of the frustrations that many folks are feeling... And that's, there's a, I don't know what it's from because I'm not as, I'm not as into the pop culture or maybe I'm into some pop culture, but I'm kind of late to the party in a lot of respects as far as certain pop culture memes or things that are images that are made into memes. And it's the, the person with glasses who's looking at a butterfly and then there's the three. So the person is labeled as liberals and then the butterfly looking at the butterfly and it's systemic oppression. This country was founded on. And the the uh, the the ti- not the title, but the, the the wording at the bottom is is this because of the 2016 election? And that's what I feel like. There are so many things and issues that have been happening in this country for generations. Problems that have been happening here that are part of the structure of this country. And now that 
dipshit in the administration or in office. Now people are waking up to like waking up to it and putting all of their blame into this this current election, even though a lot of these things have been in place for a long time and are now their things are much more overt. They're much more moving towards we're in fashion. It's fascism right now. What's happening? What's happening to people? And a lot of these laws that have been in place, it's things that were happened in previous administrations. So deportations were happening under Obama. Drone strikes were happening. You go back to the Clintons with wanting to increase mass incarceration with actually, yes, increasing mass incarceration and still funding wars. And going back to the idea with the article we were reading about earlier about basic income and how the Clintons pretty much decimated what is called quote unquote welfare services that people need and funding that people need. So this has been going on for a long time and it's not simply since things didn't just get bad all of a sudden, things have been increasingly getting worse for a lot of people. And I feel like with this, it's, it's not like previously sudden, you know, folks had a lot of access to healthcare services. No, people haven't. So, uh, I just have a lot of anger and it's, it's frustrating. And I understand that, we're all learning and growing up in this country, there's a lot of propaganda we're fed. There's a lot of brainwashing, whether it's through media, through politicians, through schools, through billboards, advertising. There's so much we're fed through religion a lot of the time. There's a lot of it. And I am myself am not have not escaped it completely. There's so much that we internalize about it, especially with capitalism, where we, we blame ourselves instead of the system for not being a certain way. Oh, I guess this is where my rant is at. <laughs> and it's it's just it's so difficult to escape that and to recognize the the situations that we're in and the structures that we're in which teach us to hate each other and to fear each other and to be angry at ourselves and to assume like we're not doing enough when in fact it's people in positions of power who continue this cycle and they can be stopped they can be if enough people show up, if enough people decide on a general strike, if we shut down business as usual. Some people only are concerned about money and profits. And what happens when they don't make their money and their profits? Maybe then they'll wake up. Okay. <sighs> I feel a little bit better. It's good to, good to talk things out. I'm not going to read this full article, but just getting the, the gist of it. Vice News, again, and I recognize... The, you know, it's all, it's very important to, to be aware, to criticize and to think critically about where we hear our news from. There's an article from uh, Tess Owen from Vice News, uh, came out on July 19th. Never mind the Nazis, FBI agents are about to get an earful on quote unquote left wing gangs. And we know the history of the FBI sabotaging American Indian movement, sabotaging Black Panthers, fucking the bl blacklist going against anyone who really wants to speak up for themselves in their community. So, oh, fucking, ugh. anyway, if you'd like to read the article, I'm not going to read it because I have a feeling I'm probably going to want to throw things out the window. That's a common, I often have recurring themes and messages on the show and that's me wanting to throw things out the window. I don't actually do that here. Um, it, that's my feeling though, just the, the anger. 
which makes me think of a little clip I'm going to play a little bit later, I think. I think it's reminding me of some time about of network a little bit, just being fucking angry about things. Okay. So anyway, the FBI is going after uh, folks who are actually working to fight back against oppression. That's what they're doing. Instead of going after white supremacists who actually kill people. So if you want to check out that article, it's on Vice News. Again, written by Tesso, and it came out on July 19th. <sighs> There's another article. I'm also not going to work. We got a little bit like half an hour left, but I definitely want to play some music. Chill out a little bit. It was good to chill out sometimes. And this is on Bustle, and it was what it was like to help organize the Let Us Survive March on International Horrors Day. That was written by Antonia Crane, and it came out two days ago. Again, on Bustle, you can check out that article as well. Also... In the Washington Post, Mark Zuckerberg, not a fan. Um, there's an article, <laughs> I can't even, even like, even like addressing what's happening. It's just, it's, excuse me, it's so maddening and enraging. Mark Zuckerberg's Holocaust faux pas reveals a bigger problem. That was written by Molly Roberts and it came out on July 19th. And it's pretty much Mark Zuckerberg has said that there's a space for fucking fascists on the, on the platform. And for folks who deny the Holocaust, for white supremacists, for folks who uh, don't believe Sandy Hook happened. And we all know that Facebook has a fucking many, many, many problems. Gosh. And that's what happens, I guess, when technology evolves for, you know, past what humanity, humanity hasn't fucking evolved yet. So when you have technology, it's only to the best of what humanity is. And unfortunately, what humanity is at the moment is really causing a lot of harm until we can combat white supremacy and stop and end white supremacy and patriarchy and the warmongering until we can end transphobia and homophobia. It's going to show up in technology and the folks who run technology and the folks who edit and control the content of it. So we need to, and also same with like the laws too, you can make something illegal and at the same time it's all about behavior and actions. So we need to, in our communities eradicate that and then maybe it'll show up in the technology and the platforms and social media that we use i fucking hate i'm gonna take a break i'm gonna get through a couple things and then i'm just gonna get through it again i don't want to read these fucking horrible news stories because i'd rather live in a world where these things aren't happening and at the same time not mentioning it seems like a denial so Keisha Wells, trigger warning. I know I'm doing, I already mentioned one at the beginning of the program and another one. Keisha Wells of Cleveland is the 14th trans person killed in 2018. And there's an article, pghlesbian.com. And just hours after writing about Kathleen Christina James's homicide in Jacksonville, Florida, comes word of another sister whose life was taken. 58-year-old Keisha Wells of Cleveland was found dead on Detroit Avenue in Cleveland early in the morning of Sunday, June 24th. And then the, it's another thing when, when women are, are murdered who happen to be trans, they are dead named and they're even in their, even in their death, they're not treated with respect. And so a lot of the news outlets don't even report accurately on their death. Keisha was known as uh, pokey and much beloved by friends and family. She's experienced a lot of personal loss recently, including the sudden deaths of her mother and brother, as well as her sister lapsing into a coma 
That's a lot to endure. Keisha's best friend of four decades, Sheila Jones, shared how much she loved dressing well. She always loved the most expensive high heels and stilettos. The hats and her expensive sunglasses, Jones said. She was the nicest person ever, uh, but she was a tough cookie, and she wouldn't back down from anyone. No arrests have been made, and she's the seventh person to be killed in Cleveland in the last six days. No photo, no photograph of Keisha is yet available, and the, the author is in touch with trans activists in Cleveland to get more information. Rest in power, Keisha. You walked with grace and humor, even under great duress. You deserve dignity in your death, and we will do everything possible to seek justice in your name. And there's a list here that the author has curated of trans people killed in 2018 so far. Um, note that the people and outlets reporting on these crimes have different numbers based on different factors. Some don't include officer-related shootings. Others don't include non-trans, gender non-conforming individuals, while others include any violent death, including death by suicide. And the most important thing that unites us all is that we want the violence to stop. We need to keep asking, where is the outrage? During 2017, we lost at least 25 trans neighbors. May 2018 be more merciful. Sadly, we are on track to meet or exceed the previous year. So I'll read some of the names and then we'll have a moment of silence. One, Crystalie Steele Nudzlian from Massachusetts, was January 6th, 42 years old. Number two, Vicky Gutierrez in Los Angeles on January 9th, 33 years old. Tanya Kita Harvey from Buffalo, February 6th, was 35 years old. Forrest Celine Walker in Jacksonville, Florida, February 4th, 36 years old. Number five is Felicia Mitchell, Cleveland, February 23rd, 46 years old. Six is Zakaria Fry from Stanley, New Mexico, February 19th, 28 years old. Seven, Amia Teray Berryman from Baton Rouge, March 26th, 28 years old. Number eight is Sasha Wall, Sasha Wall from Chesterfield, South Carolina, August, um, excuse me, April 1st, 29 years old. Nine is Carla Patricia Pavone Flores from Dallas, May 9th, 26 years old. Ten, Nino Fortson in Atlanta, May 13th, 36 years old. Eleven, Gigi Pierce from Portland, May 21st, 28 years old. Number 12, Antasha English in Jacksonville, June 1st, 38 years old. 13, Catalina Christina James, Jacksonville, June 24th, 24 years old. 14, Keisha Walls, Cleveland, June 24th, 58 years old. And I'd like to add another name. Recently in San Francisco, there was a young trans man named Dane. So I'm adding Dane's name to the list and provide a moment of silence and rest in power.
watching the coast Suddenly I know What I want the most And I want to tell you Still I hold back I need some time I know that look on your face But there's something lucky about this place And there's something good coming for you and me Something good coming that has to be Mama And about the kids And the way we live The things we did As she never had a chance Never caught a break And how we to the end of the program. I'm going to end a little bit early. There's lots more stories to get to. Police being fucking awful. And 
seems to be a theme every every day, every week. Anyway, thank you all so much for listening. This has been the weekly review, and we'll be off possibly next week. We might have a person sitting in for the show. There's no Common Thread Collective this week, but folks will be back with Women's Magazine and Common Thread Collective at Mutiny Radio next week. Again, if you're interested in having a show here at Mutiny Radio, please check out mutinyradio.fm. we got slots available to have a show all of your own. It's very cool, uh, easy process. All you do, you get trained, you pay monthly dues, and then you get a show of your own. It's pretty awesome. And also, if you're interested in having a show here, you get a live broadcast, you, you keep some money from the door, you get the recorded, it's good. I'm I'm a bit worn out, to be honest, after this show. And yeah, so please check out mutinyradio.fm. Please support the station. We're one of the few spaces left here in San Francisco where folks can share their work, share their lives with people. So please do come out and support and if you're interested in having a show here, the more voices we have here, the better. We do more together than any of us can do on our own. And that's quoting good old Diamond Dave here from Mutiny Radio. Also, if you liked what you heard, well, I guess I don't necessarily say like what I heard on the show today because it's a lot of depressing things. However, if you support uh, actual free speech, if you support folks sharing what's happening um, without the mainstream media, having their say, then please do consider becoming a, a patron a patron of the show. Um, looking for folks to donate a dollar a month or more if you're if possible. Would greatly appreciate it. That's how the show exists. The the first hundred bucks we've raised goes directly to renting the space. So please if you're able to spread the word, um, help donate, you can find our Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. I need to make a new video. Marketing is not really my strong suit. Asking for donations is not something that's easy for me. However, uh, if you're able to donate at all, please do consider doing so. It would mean a lot. Hope everyone has a great week. Continue doing what you're doing. There's so much more. I know I recognize I didn't get to, as is the case every week. There's so many more actions taking place and events coming up. Again, please go check out Sorry to Bother You. Please do support the folks who are occupying ICE. (sighs) Support your local artists and people. And fellow trans folks out there sending much love and solidarity and looking for a a better world for all of us <sighs> okay thanks again so much for listening and have a wonderful week everyone
Jack and Jacqueline But on the Che Guevara Highway Filling up with gasoline Fidel Castro's brother spies A rich lady who's crying Over the luxury's disappointment So he walks over and he's trying To sympathise with her But he thinks that he should warn her That the third world is just around the corner Soviet Union, a scientist is blinded by the resumption of nuclear testing and he is reminded that Dr. Robert Oppenheimer's optimism fell at the first hurdle. I hear is the sound of someone stacking chairs and mopping up spilled beer and someone asking questions and basking in the light of the 15 fame-filled minutes of the fanzine writer. Mixing pop and politics he asks me what the use is I offer him embarrassment for my usual excuses While looking down the corridor Out to where the van is waiting I'm looking for the great leap forward Jungle sales are all 
advertised and pamphlets have been posted Even after closing time there's still parties to be hosted You can be active with the activists or sleeping with the sleepers While you're waiting for the driver And cut out the middle man Rightfully forward A perfect world with all singing tune But this is reality Skip some love Rightfully forward So join the struggle while you make The revolution is just a of swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2 p.m. brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com.
Club.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.Evan. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Yeah.